Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks for joining us today. My guests this week are Ian King, Bloomberg technology reporter and our resident expert on the semiconductor industry. He joins us from San Francisco to explain why Qualcomm is making progress to acquire NXP for a price that could be close to about $40 billion in market cap, or more like $47 billion if you include debt. And also Brooke Sutherland, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist who has written not one but two columns on the NXP Qualcomm potential deal in the last week. An acquisition would be the largest technology deal of the year. If it happens, it would also be the largest semiconductor deal of all time, and I believe the second largest technology deal ever after last year's Dell acquisition of EMC. So Ian and Brooke, welcome to Deal of the Week. Thanks for having us. Hi, Alex. Ian, let's start with you, I guess. Uh, we know these are big semiconductor companies, but more specifically, what does NXP do, and and why is it a potential fit for Qualcomm? Okay, well, NXP is a much more diversified company than Qualcomm is. It's got a lot more products, a lot more customers in a lot more markets. Um, primarily, it's focused on the automotive market, gets about 40% of its sales from that end market. In terms of actually what the products are, if you press a button in your Cadillac, um, Alex, and you expect the sunroof to open uh, smoothly, something is happening between that button press and that motor being activated in the sunroof. And that's the kind of chip that NXP makes, broadly speaking, um, microcontrollers, that kind of thing. Obviously, that's a, a growing market somewhere where Qualcomm wants to be outside of its concentration in uh, mobile phone chips. What do you think I drive in? An Escalade? Is that what you're <laughs> picturing in your mind? Uh, something big. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh you're right. I have two little kids now, so it's something it's something a little bigger, but it's uh it's not a it's not a caddy, not yet. Um although if you're listening, you know, bosses at Bloomberg, if you up my salary a little bit, I'm happy to make that change. Uh so just remind us a little bit about Qualcomm too. This their business is a bit unique, right? Cuz they basically have two businesses, a licensing unit and then a chip manufacturing That's side. Right. It, it's, it's unique in the whole of technology. Most of their sales, 70% of their sales, come from designing and producing semiconductors, the modems and the applications processes that are the most important thing in your mobile phone. And, and obviously that's been a, a great business for them, but that really doesn't deliver the profit that makes this company so special. What they do is they license um, technology, and in in, it's called CDMA. You don't need to know what that actually is, but more importantly... What that technology does is it underpins all modern phone systems, right? Every time you're making a call, whether you know it or not, whether you care or not, you're using CDMA, which is Qualcomm's technology, and they're getting a cut from that. So 70% of their profit actually comes from licensing technology to mobile phone companies like Samsung, like Apple. Every time they make a phone, they pay a percentage of that cost of that phone to Qualcomm, and that's a fantastic business. It's also what's given them so much cash that they're exactly. sitting on right now. And is that is that a big part of why they're looking at NXP, which is a big company? Do they do they want to use their cash now? I think so. I mean, I think there's been pressure from investors to do something with that cash, which has just sort of been sitting on their balance sheet and growing into a bigger, bigger pile. Um, the issue is that a majority of that, I think it's about $31 billion in cash and equivalents that's on their balance sheet. That's a majority right. of that is offshore. Yeah, about 17 of that is overseas. Which puts you in sort of a difficult position because if you bring back to the U.S. to spend it on an acquisition, you're going to be hit with a tax rate. 
So that's why, you know, Annex P maybe more than some other targets might be more appealing because it's based in the Netherlands. So you can put some of that cash to work on this acquisition. So I've been um, doing a little bit of, uh, you know, research on trying to break uh, news around this deal for the past couple of weeks. And I, I've got to admit that the sentiment around this deal happening uh, is quite uh, optimistic. You know, it, obviously, I've, I've been doing this job for a few years now. You sort of get a sense based on body language if a deal is going to happen. I would say from both sides, there is a decent amount of optimism that a deal will happen. That said, uh, Bernstein came up with a note back on September 29th, and I want to quote from the note. It says, transformative M&A is typically fraught with challenges. Accretion on paper would have to be carefully weighed against real risks around integration, execution, and strategic fit. Uh, So, Ian, what are the big challenges around a deal like this? Well, that's exactly. I mean, that's the elephant in the room of any deal of this size that we never talk about in the lead up to it. Everybody rushes towards trying to chase whether it will or won't happen, you know, make their make their reasons for why it makes sense or not. But what what people don't really discuss is most big deals aren't at least immediately accretive. They're not, you know, they they don't add the magic that was promised. They there's a lot of complications that go with integrating two companies and in NXP's case Qualcomm's never done a deal this size NXP just itself did a 15 billion dollar deal last year as you remember Alex buying Freescale so it's in the middle of doing its own integration of its own record deal both NXP and Freescale these companies are legacy companies NXP was part of Philips Freescale was part of Motorola so these companies have kind of an interesting checkered history both of them were taken private Qualcomm has never done anything like that. Everything it's ever done has been, look, based upon its own technology, just done a few small tuck-ins. So I think there is some concern expressed by Stacey Rasgon at Bernstein of, well, does this team that may be putting this deal together have the experience to do more than just put it together to actually make it work, to integrate, to bring the cultures together? All of those soft words that everybody doesn't really focus on before a deal gets done. And I think it's interesting because a big part of the appeal of this deal is this idea of diversifying Qualcomm further away from mobile. But a lot of times the transactions that are based on the the idea of diversifying become the most difficult to actually execute and to reap value of. And so it's sort of a double-edged sword there. Which No, I think that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, they've been focused on one idea, which is as fast as we can possibly make it, your phones are going to communicate faster. They're going to get more and more data into them. And they've been very, very good at doing modems and applications processes around making your your phones better and better. Fantastic business that's done really well. Of course, it's slowed down a bit. Of course, it's got more competitive, but that's the idea they've been focused on. And that skill set, that technology drive has served them very well. But is that the kind of skill set that's going to make them good at managing tens of thousands of customers? We'll see. Investors seem to like the idea of Qualcomm buying NXP because the stock went up when 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 the news was broke, and then even when we broke the story last week about things the the deal having become a little bit more concrete. In fact, Ian and I reported last week the sides are negotiating a price of between 110 and 120 dollars per share for NXP, and that Qualcomm's toying with paying 75 percent cash, 25 percent stock. If we use let's say a midpoint brook of 115 dollars a share. 
what do previous deals say about how expensive this one is for Qualcomm? And is that part of the reason investors like the deal? I think that is part of the reason that they might like this. I mean, one is that it would be massively accretive to Qualcomm. Even if you pay above that range that you were talking about, above the 120, Qualcomm can make this massively accretive to their earnings. Again, whether or not it still makes sense strategically is an open question. But I mean, from an expense point of view, if you take that midpoint, that's going to be an EBITDA multiple below the median that we've seen paid in this sort of rush of semiconductor deals over the past few years. And if you look at, you know, sort of a specific comp, Avago paid an even higher EBITDA valuation for Broadcom. So the one thing, you know, that you definitely do have going for this is it's not crazy expensive, at least on that basis. Um, you know, again, whether it makes sense to do it in the end, I think it's still a question, but you can make the math work at least. By the way, that's so that's an indication that NXP was uh, trading below market value for a little while. I mean, it was, look, I'm looking back in February, it was at $64 a share. And even before the news broke at $82 a share. Well, so if it's still a good deal at 115 I think they had a string of bad news where they were sort of downbeat about what the demand was going to be in the auto market. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it certainly made them cheaper, which, you know, from NXP's perspective, if someone comes in with 115, 120 a share, you're getting a pretty significant premium from where your stock was trading not too far ago. Ian, uh, about a year ago or so, a little less even, Qualcomm really looked into splitting itself into two companies because it had this investor, this activist investor, Jana Partners, uh, that had taken a stake in the company uh, and was pushing management to at least consider breaking up into two. Qualcomm decided not to split the company. Uh, what were what was the investor reaction to that decision not to split? And then what has it been in the run up to the news about this potential deal for NXP? I mean, two two things. Uh, as you remember, Alex, when we were working on that, opinion was really really divided down the middle. It, again, it's like, do we split this company up? Do do we get a transaction that we can probably make money out of when we get two companies that are probably going to come to the market and 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 that we can use to to liquid liquidate our position. The other side was, look, now this company needs to stay the course. Generating all of the cash that it does from that licensing business gives it a huge advantage over its rivals because it can plow that money back into R&D and stay ahead in the fundamentals of the technology. Those were the two opinions. Obviously, the, the stay together side won. Um, but that immediately then turned the focus on, well, okay, we're going to allow you to carry on doing what you're doing, but we're not going to be happy with you to be sat there with all of these billions of cash on your balance sheet. You've got to do something for us. They did some returns. They did some uh, dividend increases. They did some buybacks, and that was well-received. That supported the stock. But really a lot of the positivity on, about Qualcomm as a company has been, they've got all of this cash. What are they going to do with it? That's you know, maybe they're going to give it us back. You know, maybe they're going to do a deal that adds something. That's been, if you like, the buzz around the stock more than the fundamentals of the business. So therefore, that's been the pressure behind this transaction. And then when we've seen, you know, various rumors that you and I have also tracked of them looking at various companies of considering these things, people have kind of slowly formed the impression, well, maybe this management team perhaps are a little bit lacking in, the ability to make a solid decision, the ability to sort of go out there and say, look, let's just do this. Maybe they're a little bit weaker than we thought. Maybe they're a bit indecisive. So then when you get a stronger indication of a big deal like this, that I think has created a bit more confidence in them and, and a sense that something's going to happen and that cash is going to get used. So it's been positively received. 
And it's only human nature to some degree that if you see your peers doing something, then uh, particularly in the in the Wall Street world, I think investors maybe get a little antsy and they ask, well, why aren't you doing what all these other companies are doing? So in the semiconductor world, I mean, people that listen to this podcast religiously might remember toward the end of last year, uh, it was a big topic on this podcast because it was a just a blowout year for semiconductor deals. Uh, Intel bought Altera, Avago bought Broadcom. There was a, several other deals of about yeah, you know more than a hundred billion in deals. I think more than a hundred billion in deals, which was like two hundred, three hundred, four hundred percent higher or something like that than the year before, from my from my memory. And and the, and the largest year of all time uh, mm-hmm. in, in in semiconductor land by a long shot. By a long yeah. shot, right? Yeah, I mean logically, it's it's easy to argue in favor of something to make a positive argument to say, you know, let's do this, this makes sense, than it is to say, no, we're going to say on the sidelines, no, we're not going to do this, because, you know, that makes it look like you're inactive, it makes you look indecisive. So I think there's a bit of basic human psychology going on here, and as you said, when everybody else is, is doing something, then it's like, oh, are we missing out on the opportunities here? There are only so many semiconductor companies. And as, as I think Brooke alluded to earlier, if you're Qualcomm, if you've got 20-odd billion dollars of sale, how many companies can you really buy that are going to make an appreciable difference to what you do? Um, so there's, there's an element of, of get big or die going on uh, that we've seen over the, the last couple of years, really. And for Qualcomm as well, how many companies are out there? And I, I think you know, maybe Brooke can tell us there have been speculated in, in some of the reports that they might look at other people. That, that, but you know, what's come of that? Sure. I mean, yeah, and just to kind of build on your point or earlier, Alex, I mean, I think Qualcomm CEO has also been pretty vocal about wanting to do m He told us and, on the record mm-hmm, last yeah, he told year. me, yeah, right. Sort of created this expectation, and so I think there's also just sort of been, a, you know, removing that uncertainty from the market now that we have targets named, that we have, you know, sort of a process underway here. Um, so in terms of other companies, I know that you, Alex, reported that they also looked at Xilinx, which has been an earlier this year speculated target for... I, I don't know how long for quite a long time since now. Intel bought Altera, exactly. probably. Yeah, I think no, even before that. Right. Um, yeah. But you know, it obviously that's a much smaller company than MXP, so that would be a very different route to take. I know other names that have been mentioned have been Cavium, um, you know, and whether that would get Qualcomm more into the server chip market. Um, you know, there's also On Semiconductor, which is another perpetual target. Um, you know, there's no indication that they're looking at those, but those are just frequently speculated targets that could potentially be. And we do know they're looking at four or five other targets, mm-hmm. uh, and they have been for many months this year, uh, from our understanding. That's uh, right. Xilinx and Cavium um, have attracted people's interest because Qualcomm is trying to basically steal Intel's lunch and has been doing so for, or been trying to do so for some time. As you know, it's trying to get into the server market, which is basically the most fabulous real estate in the whole of semiconductors. Intel basically has a complete monopoly on that, charges what the hell it likes for chips, you know, chips that cost it $30 to make a, a retailing, a, a going out the door at, you know, charging thousands of dollars for. Clearly, that's created a situation in the industry where if you're a customer of that business, where if you're a server chip buyer, you're looking for a second source. Qualcomm has has got a publicly announced effort to try to get into that market. Cavium has already in that market in a very, very limited way. Um, And Xilinx is also related to that market in terms of what its chips do. So it's natural that um, perhaps Qualcomm would look at those companies. Again, what's natural and what is actually happening who knows? I mean, as, as as Brooke said, Alex reported earlier that 
They had looked at Qualcomm, uh, at Xilinx rather. They've got this kind of joint venture with them already. Um, lots certainly swirling, but um, you know, difficult decisions for Steve Malenkov to make. He's an engineer. He grew up inside Qualcomm. Um, you know, he's he's been really a champion of this company as an engineering force, as a technology force. Now, can he, you know? put some of that ability towards more strategic goals and more strategic moves. I saw some analyst speculation the other day, actually, which I thought was really interesting, Interesting, sorry, that said that, you know, should Qualcomm and NXP to get together, could Broadcom make a play for Xilinx? So I guess that's something you sort of have to weigh. If you're Qualcomm, if you do this NXP deal and for some reason you, you think maybe Xilinx is attractive, do you lose that deal? Is there an opportunity cost to going ahead with NXP? That's, that's a very good point, Brooke. I mean, you, you mentioned the Bernstein guy. Him, him and other analysts have said, look, one of the attractiveness points about Qualcomm is it's got this money in the bank. It can do something. As soon as they do something, they're just like every other chip maker. They're back to mm-hmm. whatever cash flow they're generating on a regular basis. And, uh, and you have to look at them in a different way. Ian, you mentioned that NXP is still integrating Freescale. What does Freescale do? Well, Freescale was primarily an, an analog chip maker. And again, heavily concentrated on that automotive market. Everybody loves automotive chips. Everybody wants, you know, the fancy functions in their cars and sees that as a great idea. But you've got to remember, it's less than a third the size of the market that Qualcomm is already in. And guess what? Margins not even close. Um, A a good, well-run company like NXP has 50% margins. Qualcomm's above 60. And the last thing I want to touch on, so we've talked a little bit now about sort of this idea of like either you get bigger uh, or you die in the semiconductor industry. Why is this happening right now? Uh, you know, wh- wh- why is this sort of a, a recent turn of events where all these companies have suddenly come to that conclusion? And what is it exactly in the industry about getting bigger or dying? It's a brutal business. It's as simple as that. Um, over the years, um, it's been a, a foot race. Who can spend more? How can you make these things that are you know, essential to every piece of electronics out there, faster, cheaper, smaller. And to do that, to buy, to put a fact, I mean, if, if you and I, Alex, were to go out tomorrow and say, let's get into the business, how much do you think it would cost us? Uh, uh, more than quite the price, a bit. Right, more than the price <laughs> more of than your, your Cadillac. More than right, Cadillac. exactly. And, well, and the answer is, if you wanted to build a, a fab, a, a plant from the ground up, you're looking at $6 billion at least, okay, within... Less than five years, that thing is obsolete. That's got to be like half your net wealth. That's right. I know. And even I'd have to think twice about that. Right, exactly. So clearly it's becoming more and more expensive. The bets are getting bigger and bigger. So if you have this huge fixed cost base, you need a massive market or you need to be in lots of markets at the same time to be able to make that pay. And that's that's what's driving the industry towards consolidation. I think this particular deal just really exemplifies that point. When you think about, you know, NXP was an acquirer not that long ago for a massive deal. And for this company, which is pretty large to now be considered a target, just shows you how important that consolidation is, that even the guys at the very top, the biggest of the big, need to be thinking about what deals they can do, how they can get even bigger. I think, you know, the real question is going to be what Texas Instruments does if this transaction does go through. Um, you know, they've, they've sort of continued to sit on the sidelines. Is there going to be continuing pressure there for them to do something? I, I don't know. I mean, I think people like that they've been disciplined so far, but that, that pressure is there to get bigger. We know they took a look at Maxim um, a few months ago, and that deal didn't go through. Uh, that's one that another semiconductor company that very well could eventually go, but maybe that's more of a 2017 uh, event. Um, 
but yeah, it's a good point. Another big semiconductor company, you have yeah. to think they're going to do I, something. I asked Kevin March, the CFO of um, Texas Instruments, about that, about, you know, don't you have to do something? And he said, look, Ian, the chip company that we want to invest in the most, the one that we love the best, is Texas Instruments. <laughs> um, very, very focused on pouring that cash flow back into their own stock and their own dividends, and that's, that's worked for them so far. Ian King, Bloomberg Semiconductor reporter and Brooks Sutherland, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and remember, you can listen to all of your episodes of Deal of the Week on iTunes or on Bloomberg.com uh, or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Also, please rate and review the show while you're there. Also, follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Ian, where can we find you on Twitter? At Ian King. At Ian King and Brooke. At B L S U T H. See you next week.